Welcome to The Leaders Who Care, a podcast powered by Dynamis Group. We are here to give the stage and support to those committed to create a positive and lasting impact way beyond the profits and margins, the leaders of the world who care for others and serve a bigger purpose. Join us on the journey of creating a better, more caring world. And now to your host, Stoyan Yankov. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Leaders Who Care, a platform that we created in which we feature some of the most inspiring leaders of the world. Not just the most inspiring, but people who are real givers, who are speaking with their actions. And I'm more than excited to welcome our guest today, Masami Sato. Uh, before we actually get into the introduction and into the conversation, I just want to remind everybody who's listening right now, uh, if you like our podcast, if you like this platform, make sure to go and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts so we can reach even more people and spread the care culture. But uh, now let's uh, let's focus on our super, super special guest today, Masami. First of all, how are you today? <laughs> Thank you, Stoyan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. And how are you? <laughs> I'm really, really good. And I'm very excited to hear all about um, your story and just to just to share with the audience a little bit about what you do masami is the founder and ceo of uh, b1g1 which is an organization all about creating impact and creating giving impacts and they have recently reached a milestone of over 250 million giving impacts that's being generated from businesses from all around the world. And I'm very excited to talk about that. But she's just an exceptional human being, a keynote speaker, a best-selling author, and just a bunch of, bunch of energy and inspiration. So Masami, thank you so much for being with us. Why don't you share with our audience a little bit about what you do, who you are, and, and I'm also curious to hear about your origins, your Japanese origins and heritage. Okay, <laughs> so where should I begin? So let me just first talk about B1J1, just a quick introduction, because people may be wondering what does you know this weird name B1J1 <laughs> mean? And so, um, so uh, B1J1 was originated in the concept of buy one, give one. So if you just imagine a world where everything you do and we do makes a difference. So imagine if every time you had a cup of coffee, a child received access to life-saving water. Or yes, <laughs> imagine if every time you uh, read a great book, then a tree gets planted. Or imagine every time you go to see a doctor or you are, you know, uh, go to a gym, like a child receives access to healthcare. Or, so if you imagine all the things that happen in the world through our everyday uh, activities, and, and turning that into positive impact in the world, then what kind of world can we be living in? And so that's the world of B1J1, buy one, give one. And then, so what happened was we founded B1J1 in 2007 to help businesses really embed effective giving in what they do. And as a result, so that they could create a positive impact you know, through ev everyday business activities. And so since then, we have worked with thousands of businesses. And as you said, just recently, we have celebrated more than 250 million giving impacts. So that's B1J1. And I'm a part of the founding team. <laughs> I'm the founder. <laughs> You're so humble, Masami, and thank you so much for you and the organization for leading by example and really making a difference and inspiring all of us to, to be givers. Uh, but I'm actually curious to hear mm. about your story, your origins. Mm. You, you were born in Japan. Uh, as I understand you are now based in Singapore. So tell yes. me more about yourself. Where did you grow up and how did you get excited about giving, which is a major part of what you do these days? Mm. So when I was growing up and I was a very shy and quiet child in Japan. And so, you know, if I was in school and in the class, then probably I was one of the quietest, you know, ch uh, children. Um, and so anyway, um, one thing I had uh, in my childhood was 
uh, this family business that my grandparents used to run. And uh, my parents were very busy working individuals and uh, working for large companies. But um, my grandparents had this tiny family business in Tokyo. So I spent most of my childhood, um, every school holiday, I would go to spend time with my grandparents and help them run this family business. Um, so that was one thing I really, really enjoyed, you know, more than going to school. <laughs> and anyway, because I was very curious about what was happening. And uh, um, so when I finished studying in Japan, that curiosity took me to travel around the world. So, you know, in my early childhood, I had this exposure to being entrepreneurial and thinking about business and connecting with people through the business. And uh, in my youth, I became this like global, you know, backpacker, <laughs> young Japanese woman traveling around the world with very little money and going to places. And so when I first started to travel, like I couldn't even speak English. So um, I had to start from, you know, communicating with people in a very, very simple, basic ways. Um, and I was very shy already to start up with. But I realized that when I stopped worrying about doing the right thing or saying the right thing, because I could, I could not say anything anyway <laughs> at first, and I could start to express myself in very simple uh, language, then I started to really enjoy that kind of genuine, simple, authentic, and vulnerable connections that I had with people wherever I went. And throughout that time, I started to really um, learn so much about how similar we all are, you know, but at the same time, I started to also see that um, there, there are so many things I didn't understand in the world, you know, that were happening, such as like uh, the environmental distraction or um, poverty or, you know, children not going to uh, school and can't even complete primary school education. Or, so seeing these things in front of me, I was at first very disturbed, but I didn't know how to solve these big problems. So I thought, oh, that's fine. And I went on um, living my life. But one day when I accidentally became uh, a mom <laughs> and had my own baby daughter, that was when I uh, started to really feel that I had to do something about those issues um, that I cared about. Because, you know, if my own child uh, was one of those kids, you know, who happened to be born in different circumstances, and because of that, everybody in the world said, you know, if they said, uh, we can't do anything, you know, because the problem is too big, that's how it is, then it's not acceptable. So I thought, even though I couldn't change everything in the world, I wanted to do something um, to do more than just taking care of my own family. So that's when I started um, my very first business before B1G1, which happened to be a food company. And through that food business that I was running, I realized that you know, giving back and doing something meaningful or creating a positive impact or helping people. Or, so that was very difficult for me when I was growing my own business. And out of that um, realization, um, the idea of B1G1 was born because I thought, you know, what if instead of trying to do something really big in the future, <laughs> what if we did something small but did it every day? And then in our own food company, the idea was that every time we sell a meal, packaged frozen meal to, you know, retail businesses, which we were uh, supplying our wholesale products for, we wanted to help feed and educate a child. And that's what we started to do. So that was kind of really the start of B1G1. I love it. And we had uh, Paul Dunn uh, at the podcast previously. Mm. Those of you who are listening, you should definitely also listen to this episode because he's such an inspiration, just like Masami. Um, but, uh, Masami, I, I want to talk about B1G1 before that though, I'm curious, what, what did you learn about leadership coming from Japan? Uh, Cause mm -hmm. here in the West, we have a different, uh, management and leadership style. So I'm curious, what are some of the mm -hmm. main lessons that you are applying in the organization today? Mm. All right. Um, so I didn't know this, you know, before. 
like I only discovered this uh, fact quite recently, like a few years ago. But what I found out was that when we look at the world and then look at all um, long lasting businesses in the world. So let's say businesses that are more than 200 years old in the world. And if we count them, what we end up is that more than 50% of those long lasting businesses were actually Japanese businesses. And, um, and Japan only has about 5% of the global population. So um, it's a big economy, but it's not a massive country compared to some other you know, big countries. So, um, so if we then you know, ask why <laughs> there are so many Japanese businesses that are more than 100 to 200 years old, then one of the reasons, well, there are you know, probably many other reasons too, but one of the reasons why those businesses are really like uh, long lasting is because those businesses are family businesses. Right? Like almost all of these uh, businesses that are more than 200 years old were Japanese family businesses. And um, so when we dig a little bit deeper into this, because, you know, in every part of the world, I believe that a long time ago, all the businesses are probably family owned businesses. And those family owned businesses probably faced a lot of different issues, such as like the children no longer wanted to, uh, you know, work for this business anymore. They found new opportunities or, you know, the, they didn't have the skills and capability to carry on with that business or, um, so these things always happen to family business. So it's probably success, you know, long-term success is not necessarily just because of the family um, business structure, but there must be something that's related to that. So um, I realized that, you know, when you have a family business compared to businesses that are dictated by shareholders, then family businesses tend to make different decisions and they think differently. And family businesses tend to think really long term because they're not just thinking about the success for that particular generation or for that person, but they are collectively thinking about the uh, lasting success for many generations to come. So as a part of it, the family businesses really take care of the community that they are in or they take care of their suppliers their customers in a very different way. And that's what I actually saw um, in my grandparents' business as well when I was growing up. You know, serving customers weren't just about another transaction. It was a relationship building. And even when we can get a better price from different suppliers, you will stick with those who you actually have the relationship with. You know, so um, I feel like I learned a lot being in the family business environment in Japan, but much later on, uh, being in the uh, international business space, I think I, you know, realized that there's so much we can apply from the concept of family business into the actual, you know, day-to-day -day businesses, even um, if our companies are not structured as family businesses. I just love what you just shared, the the focus on the long term, whether you're a family business or you are an organization, for-profit or non-profit organization, what if we switch up a mindset and we focus on the long-term success of the business, of all the relationships, all the suppliers, all the customers? And I wonder, what would be your message to business leaders, especially at large organizations who they have to chase certain milestones and have to do the quarter and and how could they apply this kind of thinking so mm. we can have a more mindful and long-term focused world mm. and this concept of family business and family thinking like some people might say it's too simplistic you know like oh we can't do we can't apply that in a real business <laughs> or something like that but i think we actually can apply this and we are starting to actually experience the need of that more and more in, in our business sustainability and the world sustainability today. And of course, like even though uh, taking care of 
our environment, our community, or, you know, those are, we, we can kind of make sense of how important it is because, you know, business, even large businesses today are seriously thinking about the CSR and sustainability in some ways. Um, so it's required today. But at the same time, the benefit, like the true benefit of bringing family thinking back into our business is very personal as well. So for example, if you imagine like, how many hours do you spend every day doing your job, you know, doing your work? And most people would say mm, eight hours a day, <laughs> you know, five days a week, or some people may be working so many more hours, you know, every day, every week. Um, so if you think about the time that you are spending in your life, and then, uh, you know, if you compare that with the time you can spend on other things that matters in your life, like family time or personal pleasure time, or then actually the work time is so much more than those other time, except maybe like sleeping or something. So if it takes up such majority of our life, then we want to be actually doing the things that we believe in, we feel good about, we, um, uh, and we want to be surrounded by people we trust, we care about, and to be, you know, to feel cared and loved. And so if everybody in uh, a business can feel this, like piece of this feeling of belonging to a family business, then the well-being of the workforce uh, is definitely going to improve and people will probably stay longer <laughs> in the company and they will actually put greater effort in making things better not just because they get paid for it but because they care so to create this caring culture we cannot just uh, say we should do csr <laughs> we have to change our culture our thinking and then the best place to start that is uh, to have leadership that care. And so, you know, when uh, I was invited to this podcast, I was really excited because, you know, uh, the, the whole theme of podcast is uh, the leaders who care. And um, this is quite rare, but at the same time, if the title was like families who care or parents who care, then we think it's quite normal, right? Like ordinary, <laughs> because families and parents and, you know, grandparents, they care. And we don't need to teach them how to care. They already care. So why is it that this concept of the leaders who care is actually unique in today's world? That's a very <laughs> good question. That's a very good question. And, and hopefully through this platform, through um, uniting all the leaders who care, bringing them together, coming up with ideas, how can we create this caring cultures in organizations. As you um, said, we spend so much time at our jobs. How can we, what if majority of the leaders around the world decide, I need to put my people first. I need to um, put the community and take care of people first. Um, what, what if, imagine a world where this happens. Um, like, people <laughs> would be happy. I mean, we don't talk about happiness so much. I mean, we start talking about happiness when there's mental health issues and when when people start burning out what if this is a priority joy and happiness of, of the people um we were talking to an exceptional leader and um, another exceptional leader max uh, from uh, he's a former apple uh, director and he shared as a manager as a leader, you work for people you work for the people that are your employees or, or people that are under you in the organizational chart. They don't work for you. You work for them. Mm -hmm. You're there to make sure that they're well served. They have all the resources. They're well taken care of and everything is smooth. Mm -hmm. So they can do their job and they feel fulfilled. So thank you so much, uh, Basami, for bringing this up and, and really for, for leading by example, being a true uh, leader who care yourself. And I will dig into... Uh, this in just a minute, but I'm curious because I found out the fact uh, about you and I'm curious to just uh, hear more about it. Mm -hmm. At some point in your story, you decided to take a step back and actually live in the countryside in Japan and mm -hmm. sort of get away from the consumerism. Could you share more about this experience <laughs> and what were the main lessons from this experience? 
Mm. So um, I talked about earlier uh, that I had the time uh, to be able to travel around the world, backpacking and meeting and connecting with people. And um, this was a, the time I learned about the spirit of giving and how amazing it is. Because um, as a backpacker, I didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> and I was like sometimes hitchhiking or you know, trying to do exchange work to stay for free, somewhere for free or so um, doing that. And so when I was this person who was quite vulnerable and didn't speak proper, properly in their language, or then everywhere I went, there were always people who came to help me or people were inviting me to come and have meals with them or stay with them. And I was really just so blown away because some of these people just didn't have much in their life. And, and I used to feel very guilty about receiving because, you know, if I take their food, then what happened to their kids? Like they may not be able to feed their children next day. So I used to, you know, feel like, no, I can't take that. But then at the same time, what I really realized was that when I actually simply could receive and be joyful and enjoy the moment together with, you know, these amazing people, they enjoyed that too. And they felt great about giving and helping somebody else. So having that in mind, and one day, eventually, I went back to Japan, and I was standing in a city looking around, you know, uh, among these very super busy traffic and the people crossing the road and everybody carrying shopping bags. And, and, and when I, at one point, I thought that maybe like, you know, we are not happy just by having more and more stuff. And um, I also felt at that time uh, that maybe consumerism and the businesses were creating more problems in the world. So I thought, what if I stopped buying stuff? <laughs> you know, like then can I stop contributing negative, you know, uh, impact <laughs> to the world? So in a very simplistic way, I decided to let go of everything and move to countryside and lived with farmers to try to learn um, sustainable, self-sufficient way of living. So I could grow food and make, you know, everything myself and stop buying <laughs> things. <laughs> so th that was what happened um, in my you know, young age. And, um, and it was just one of the most amazing times I had, you know, living with farmers, working with them, sweating together, you know, helping each other, growing food, enjoying uh, the food together at the end of the day, singing and, you know, like all that. Um, yeah. But anyway, interestingly, at the end of those two years, what I learned actually was quite unexpected because whilst I learned so much about how to live with nature and create abundance in natural way, so that was great. Um, but I also learned that I was wrong that I was wrong that I, I was judging others. You know, I judged my parents. My parents were too busy. You know, they were like, not happy. Why are they doing this? <laughs> or um, I was judging businesses because they were creating problems. Or, but I realized that I, you know, at the deep down, I knew that we were very similar, you know, from the experience of traveling. And then I thought that maybe we were all trying to be happy or trying to create more abundant and great life for our children. Or so, um, but then there seemed to be something that was that weren't working in the world. So at that point, I decided to move on, like, and then to travel more and to experience and learn things again. So um, yeah, <laughs> but there was that part of my life which still impact me a lot. <laughs> and thank you for sharing a lesson. It's it's so easy to get into the just judgmental mode and to point fingers. Mm. And and what you're sharing is really about taking ownership and leading by example instead of pointing fingers and saying, Oh, this didn't happen because of them and that and this, but <laughs> but saying, Hey, I have the power to to make a step. To make a small step, and this is this is big philosophy that you and Paul and buy one give one are have been embracing the the power of small. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that? What is the power of small? Mm. So power of small is that you know um, so often small things have so much power, and sometimes small could be even more powerful than the big things. 
And so just as an example, uh, when we think about the very complex topic like sustainability too, you know, we can do some big things to try to change this, but things like um, the bacteria in our world, you know, and how they are creating, you know, taking part in this creation of your sustainability and balance or small things like pollination of all of the insects, pollinating the flowers so that we can have more food supplies, you know, and these are massive things because if one day all the pollinators disappear, then we will lose majority of our food, like more than 70% of our food um, uh, uh, affected by the pollination. So um, I think small things are very powerful, but th there are some other reasons why small things are very powerful. So uh, uh, another example is when we try to do something really big, we probably have to wait for a long time to do something and we may not do it because we don't get there. But if we decide to do something very small today, then we actually can do it, take action. And then, Doing those small things will um, allow us to learn and take the step further. Where when we think too overwhelmed by the idea of doing huge things, we might think too much about how to do it right. And then eventually we may not take action. Or sometimes when we do really big things, just because resources became available, you know, then uh, we think this is the way to solve the world problem. And then we do that. But then what might happen is that that big thing may have a certain uh, consequence, you know, create a certain consequence and then create a more challenge where if you are trying lot, lots of little things, you are making more holistic change. So in so many ways, small things are powerful. And we've seen that in B1G12 because since 2007, we've worked with so many small businesses and they implement giving in their own unique ways in the day to day you know, actions. And as a result, together, they have created so many impacts. And also because of the fact that this is a community of power of small. So where even when things like a pandemic hit, and of course, so many businesses got impact negatively impacted by that. But at the same time, as a community as a whole, there was a still strength because some businesses you know, had, uh, had more negative impacts, but other businesses found a new opportunity or they pivoted very quickly. Or So um, the giving in B1G1 also uh, bounced back um, uh, after, you know, the initial big hit. <laughs> so at that time I realized, wow, like this is just so magical to be part of this, you know, be part of this community of real power of small. Again, you, you've been so humble saying being part. You are a driving force in creating this community, Masami, but, but I really appreciate your humbleness and uh, probably also coming from your heritage from, from Japan. Uh, and I just want to I just want to read uh, and please correct me if I got it wrong, but the, the mission of Pi One G1, which I found online, is to create a world that's full of giving. Mm. I just love that. This is such a powerful sentence to create a world that's full of giving. And the three core pillars which I've found are impact, habit, and connection. Could you tell me about what does that mean to you? <laughs> so if we think about like, let's say, um, traditional form of giving, and we've always had this uh, you know, charity giving a lot in the world. People have been giving for a long time and they give very generously as well. So it's, you know, the reason why we have, we still have a lot of challenges that we need to solve. It's not necessarily because we don't give or we need more charity organizations in the world or such. But what we realized was that perhaps like this giving, uh, you know, our efforts to give can be enhanced so much more when we bring in the missing components that are critical in making a real change. And that's when we identify the impact habit and connection. So first of all, impact, like, so in the B1J1 space, what we focus on is to empower every business to create a tangible impact 
through the things they do. So that could be planting one tree, you know, or it could be helping educate a child for one day or uh, giving access to clean water for a day. Or So every giving action and the projects in B1J1 is broken down into a micro impact unit. And then we also make sure that 100% of money those businesses give will go to the project to create that impact. So that's first part. And um, then the next thing is habit. Because um, there are lots of big ad hoc things that happen. So when there is a natural disaster, there's a huge amount of money being donated to help people because it's very emotional. And we see things in the news and everybody come together to try to help. So that's great. But at the same time, what tends to happen is that as soon as the news you know, stop covering these things, then the money stops flowing. But there are lots of important things we need to make happen um, regularly. And we need to build on that. So we realized that instead of focusing on one big campaign or ad hoc things, if we focused on helping people and businesses establish new habit of giving, so giving becomes part of their habitual existence, then it is more powerful. And we can only create a, a world full of giving in this way. We cannot just keep saying, please donate money <laughs> to create a world full of giving. But if every business can identify um, how they can embed and integrate effective impact and giving in their day-to-day -day actions, then when we are not thinking about it, every single day, every moment, this positive impact can be created in the world. So that's why habit is important. And then finally, that both things lead to connection because giving shouldn't be just because we have to do CSR, but it's because as human beings and people in organizations, we actually care. And we want to live life that has meaning and a purpose and um, and care. <laughs> so in order for us to do that, we need to make sure that the act of giving is not just about money, but it's about that feeling like giving spirit of human beings and how can we enhance that in such a way to make things more meaningful and also make people realize that they are together, you know, doing this together. So it's not one big company doing something cool, but it's all the businesses taking part of this ecosystem and realizing that they are not alone. So they don't need to fix all of the problems in the world. They can just do their bit, but to still feel empowered that together we really can solve all of the challenges that we would face. Wow, thank you so much for sharing this, Masami. And, and I could imagine many people listening to you right now very positive, very smart lady. They're looking at the, the, the stats and the data that we shared, more than 250 million given impacts, thousands of businesses being involved in this community. And some people might be thinking, you know, she has it figured out and, you know, things are just going smoothly. But I'm actually curious for the early days of you coming up with this idea, having this big vision, mm -hmm. Did you have to experience any struggles and what did it really take to build this community and to, mm. to inspire people to become part of it? Actually, like you said, uh, smart or something, but that's not really me. Like I didn't come from, you know, conventional business background, like have done MBA or something before starting a business. So when I started my first businesses, I had no idea how to run businesses. And I was like, more than 20 years ago, but I just uh, decided to do it. And maybe like some people who are running businesses today were in the same situation. They don't have a formal education or, you know, they just doing it because they believe in something and they saw a challenge and problem that they could help solve and they are passionate about it. So that, that was kind of me. <laughs> so uh, of course I faced many challenges and even before B1J1, some of the major issues I faced was, for example, like the idea that I had for this food company was that, you know, we would do healthy food home delivery and we would prepare the meal and deliver to the customers on the day. And that was like 17 years ago at that time. So that was just too early. Like nobody was ordering food online. And, you know, like there was no way to transport these food like to every corner of the city on the same day. So 
having those like ambitious ideas and with the passion driving things, I, you know, we faced many challenges. And at one point of time, like I didn't know how to pay rent uh, uh, next month, and I became pregnant for the second time by accident, and I didn't know what to do about that. What do you mean by accident? You you mentioned before also. I never planned. I never planned to have children, <laughs> but I had, and that, that was a you know gift, <laughs> but um, yeah, accidental kind of gift. So um, with, when I was carrying my second child, I was also running this food company and we had a quite large commercial kitchen that we kind of helped um, put up. Uh, so at one point I got totally stuck, like being eight months pregnant and I didn't know how to pay the rent the next month. And I was working like seven days a week and on the weekend going to the farmer's market to sell all the leftover product so that we could just keep paying bills. And so I was doing that and I didn't even know where to have a baby because I just didn't have money to even go to a hospital. So what happened was at that time, actually, like uh, being very like innocently creative person I am uh, and optimistic, <laughs> I said, oh, OK, like we can move into the kitchen. And so quite a few months, we lived among cardboard boxes in the industrial kitchen, like in the attic space and became homeless. And actually, my son was born in the kitchen. So I delivered my son by myself. So, by no. <laughs> so yes. So all these things happened in my very earlier time. And what took me, like what, what encouraged me to keep going, regardless of how challenging things were at that time, was actually the faces of smiling faces of people I met when I was backpacking. Because I saw so many people who didn't have a proper home, same safe place to be, or you know, kids who uh, were working on the field and still didn't have enough money to buy school books. Or so, when those people shared with me their food and invited me to come and visit or stay with them, sometimes <laughs> when I thought about that, no matter what was happening in my life, I always thought like, mm, it's not the end of the day, like, well, <laughs> I could still, like, I still have a healthy body. And <laughs> you know, um, so that kind of kept me going. And uh, then uh, eventually uh, businesses started to get really much better. And then eventually we figured that the wholesale was the way to go. And we realized that the freezing and vacuum sealing and packaging the food so we can wholesale the healthy uh, meals to supermarket chains and um, health food stores were the best way to move forward at that time. So we changed the model and the business started to grow. And so that kind of, you know, eventually worked out. <laughs> and then also eventually that whole business turned into the idea of B1J1. And then eventually I decided to sell that business uh, in Australia and moved to Singapore in 2007 to start B1J1 as the um, giving business giving initiative. So everything kind of links to, you know, another, <laughs> another thing. So, um, yeah. And what a great leadership <laughs> lesson that you shared. I'm not sure about the great leadership let, let, let lessons. Me, let me just try to rephrase it. What you just shared, I think it's such a brilliant leadership lesson when it comes to finding out the, the purpose of, could be a business, it could be a non-profit, it could be any kind of organization, but having a strong why. In your case, you experienced this firsthand. You've seen these people it was close to your heart. So what is your why? What is what is the purpose of, of your business behind making profits? And is everybody in the organization aligned mm. around this bigger mm. picture? Because mm. so, everybody's mm. going through struggles, right? But but it's much easier to, to stay driven and stay motivated when you have this mm. bigger purpose that drives you. Um, yeah, so... B1J1's mission, you know, you pointed out uh, earlier that it's um, creating a world full of giving. You know, we are here to create a world that's full of giving. And this world full of giving is not just about monetary giving, even though that's part of it, because money will help us 
solve the real problems in the world. But the thing is, when you combine that with the real giving spirit that we can bring to this and move beyond all of the judgment and the stereotypes and all that, and then to unite as one, as a family, global family, and then to naturally express that giving spirit, then it will transform the world. It will solve, help us solve all of the problems because today we have a technology, resources, power, you know, uh, and the ability to solve these problems. But it's just that the resources are not used in the right way or system is not created in a way that actually can give opportunities to everybody. And that's why, because of that, we are today seeing still um, certain environmental issues that we, th we don't think we can solve, or we are seeing global conflicts or, uh, you know, people going against each other. Or, but the fundamental truth is that we are sharing this one place together, which is the planet Earth. And unless this place can sustain to exist um, as the beautiful place for us all to thrive, we would not be able to continue our life and our work in the same way. So B1G1's mission is to bring that unity um, in, into this world in a simple way that every business and every individual working in those businesses, because you know everybody kind of have either jobs <laughs> or they go and then buy things from businesses <laughs> or they use business services every day. So every person's life is touched by businesses. So if we can come together to turn every business into a giving business, not just giving money, but having the spirit of giving and expressing that, then we really can transform this world. And that's our why. And that's why like, we are very lucky to be doing this work, but also that when you know, we face certain issues, it's not necessarily like always that we have to solve this challenge, but we have the community of people and people with amazing giving spirits to go to. So that's why I always say we, <laughs> rather than I did this or anything, because the reality is we. I, I could not have done this anyway. <laughs> I didn't know how to run a business like when I started. So, <laughs> giving is connecting people. Despite, mm. despite, doesn't matter what profile, race, nationality, all these kind of things. When you give, it usually it creates this paid forward thing, right? Like people want to give back or to pay it forward to somebody else. And it's it's really a beautiful, beautiful feeling. And and you actually wrote a book, Giving Business. What what was the, the reason you decided to, to, to put all these messages into a book? And what is the main core message of the book, really? Well, actually, <laughs> initially when I wrote the Giving Business, because I had two other you know, very simple books uh, before. I wrote, I wrote that before, but then giving a business is uh, very special to me um, because I weaved into all sort of things like the concept of giving as well as why giving is transformative for businesses and how to create real giving culture or, and then some personal stories and all the, you know, um, fun things. <laughs> so that's why it's a special book, but I didn't go, uh, I will write this book, you know, one day to start writing the book because um, at that time I was really busy and I didn't think I would be spending time writing a book, but what I had to write it because I was part of this um, business program and part of the requirement was that you had to write a book. <laughs> so I had to do it and I had to do it in a very structured way to really think about how to bring the value into the book. Um, rather than, oh, I'll just write this book, <laughs> which I did before. <laughs> so that's why um, Giving Business came to life. Um, and it's so tell us, <laughs> tell us, Masami, how can we, there's a lot of leaders listening, executives, business leaders, entrepreneurs listening to the podcast. How do we create a giving culture in our mm. businesses? Mm. Okay, so culture, creation of culture, um, is something that every business will be thinking about. And I think there are certain steps that you would normally take, such as, okay, you first need to clarify your mission and really agree on that. And then second, 
uh, when you are to, and you might set the goals, specific goals around it too. And then um, next, what you have to do is to come up with company values um, in order for us to achieve this mission and these goals, then what do individuals in the company need to do or how do we need to behave in that organization to achieve that? So you would then identify the values, working with the team, and then you try to embed that thinking in everything that you do. So there are lots of steps that you could take to create a culture with you know, intention. But at the same time, when we think about the giving culture and how do we create this giving culture, we cannot create it by just saying this is the steps and the strategy to do so. <laughs> because giving culture can be only created through the leaders and every person in the organization naturally expressing that desire to give, desire to help, desire to see others being happier or more fulfilled. Or so we that, that is not necessarily checkbox. But one interesting thing that we could all think about, because all the leaders can have a different approach and different personality and quality and experience. So there is no single way. But there is one thing that might be useful for everyone, which is um, this. If we thought our organization was actually a family business, then how do I behave as a leader in this organization? Which means like in my own company, then I will see all of the team members in our organization as like my extended family. So I really want to see these people grow and thrive in their life. You know, whether within this organization itself or even if they moved on to do something else in the future, I would still want to see them grow and then have a great life because we are part of the B1J1 family. <laughs> and yeah, so I think uh, the great culture and giving culture can be created through uh, embedding like family spirit in the business. And some parents, like some parents in the family could be more strict, you know, or more like disciplined <laughs> focus, but others could be more affectionate or others could be more supportive or, you know, more open to talk about issues like face-to-face -face and address those things. You know, even if we are different, we don't give up on each other. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that's what exactly will happen in the family business will be unique, but at the same time, the fact that we care, <laughs> which is the topic of your um, podcast <laughs> is probably the most critical thing that every organization can do. I'm curious to ask you if you could share how, from your experience uh, building your organization, how how did you attract attract the right kind of people to your organization mm -hmm. that are living this culture, that are aligned with this type of values and principle? What what helped you to attract the right people? Mm. Um, we are very lucky to always attract great people um, <laughs> because what we are doing uh, is not necessarily like, oh, let's just make lots of money doing this <laughs> or something. So naturally speaking, like the people who come to us are already focused on giving and caring you know, for the world. And so we have that. But at the same time, that's not enough. Right, because if people had the choice, then uh, quite often, like when they are looking at two job opportunities, which is about the same in physical conditions, like pays and you know expectation, and then probably most people would choose a business that has you know good social mission or looks good or sounds good. Or, you know, so that that has that. So um, in order for us to really attract the right people and set the right expectation, it's very useful to be very transparent about what happens in your business, like upfront. You know, so um, over the years, we created our company handbook. And in the handbook, we don't just uh, um, include rules and regulations or some logical facts or something like that. But we talk about all the things like how we do um, what we do and why. Why, why, why do we have this kind of a communication you know, in the team? Like what, what, what this meeting does? Or, um, so when we put that in the company handbook, um, and then we have a public version and the internal version. So inter internal version can have all other details, but public version may have a few chapters, which is um, useful for people who apply for the job to read upfront. 
because then when they read that, some of the people will go, mm, this is not for me. <laughs> but some people will go, oh, I fall in love with this organization. I want to work there. I know I'm the right fit with this culture. Right? Like, so I think um, it's good to make things very transparent and open. And then also then all your hiring process um, will uh, reflect you know, your uh, company values in how you do what you do and what you stand for. So naturally, you would end up with the right person or people. And then at the same time, um, when you onboard them, you wouldn't just onboard them as another employee. <laughs> you know, you will be onboarding next family member. <laughs> and, and how long did it take you to decide we need to create a handbook and could you maybe share any practical advice for those leaders listening who never mm. took the time to to create this this piece? Mm. Um, for the company handbook, like initially, I drafted you know all, all the thoughts that I had as well, but it was a group project. So our team members will actually be invited to chip in and then polish it. And so it becomes like our shared ownership. And every year we actually review the, review the company handbook um, and everybody read it um, each year too, even if we think we know everything, <laughs> because sometimes things get outdated or sometimes we came up with a new way of doing things and enhanced you know, the things that were already included in the handbook. So handbook is like a you know, very important part of making sure we are on track with our intention and the way we want to create the culture that helps us achieve what we want to achieve. And then at the same time, we treasure it so that we make sure every new team member is onboarded into the culture with clear guidance um, with the handbook. But we always invite everybody to ask questions and, um, you know, because there are always things that we can improve on and things we never thought about. New situations arise. And if we think we can apply our thinking into this new challenge and new situation, then we will incorporate it in the handbook as well. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, let, let me ask you a question, which I think many listeners are excited to hear more about, and it is, how can people get into uh, involved into the family of <laughs> B1, G1 and, <laughs> and ranging from, you know, executives, business leaders, but also from all kinds of people. You talk about the mm -hmm. power of small. So how could people get involved and become part of the community and start giving? Mm. Okay. So um, we work with businesses of all types and all different sizes as well. So um, if you are a business owner and you are the decision maker and want to be part of this giving movement and then incorporate effective giving in your everyday business, then we would love you to go to b1g1.com and find out more and then join us. Um, so I talked about earlier that every dollar and cent that the businesses will give go to the project. So the question we often get asked is like, so then how does this run? So the way B1J1 is operated is because this is a community and a movement, every company will contribute a little bit um, of funds toward this thing called movement funds in the form of membership fee. And a tiny company will pay only a little bit. Larger company will pay a little bit more, contribute a little bit more. And then this whole um, movement fund uh, is used to you know, grow the community, um, build more systems and tools and create resources so that the giving experience for these members are very, very meaningful. So we have a you know, widget where businesses can embed this widget on their website and it will count the impact dynamically and show all of the items, how many trees being planted and so on. So we have things like this as well and you know, how to make it easy for them to share what they are doing with others. And so, um, so any businesses can choose to join us. And if, um, let's say, you are from uh, NGO or if you know a great charity organization doing fantastic work, then you can introduce these causes to B1J1 because today we have more than 450, 500, close to 500 projects. Um, and we have a strict criteria. So it's not like all of the charities can join us. But you can find out more about our criteria and how it works 
other charity. And then if it's a good match, then we would love to invite more great causes to join us so that we really can come together to make a difference. And also, like if you are not a decision maker of a business, you work for a large company, for example, so you can't choose to do it by yourself, then what you can do is you can actually share this with the management because we have a program to cater for larger businesses in a more like a personalized way. So it's not like as a, for larger companies, it's not like, you know, go to b1joan.com and sign up today. <laughs> but we would love to connect with right businesses moving forward so that we really can drive the you know, power that those large businesses have to create more impact and inspire more smaller businesses to join this movement as well. So um, there are all sorts of things that uh, anybody can do. And I would love it so much uh, to be connected with more amazing people <laughs> out there. One of the three pillars, connection. Thank you so much for sharing that, Basami. And, and uh, everybody who's listening, you got to go check out B1, G1. These guys are making a profound difference to our world. And what if we turn a little bit more towards giving in our own community, making the small steps, doing something small, smiling at somebody, buying a cup of coffee at the next person at a gas station, uh, saying something nice and positive yeah. to our colleagues at work. It doesn't take something huge. As Masami said, when you mentioned, uh, sometimes we get stuck, right? Climate change, I can't do anything. Sure you can, you can do small things. Everybody can do something small. And, and that's the power when we unite ourselves. And this will be my final question, Masami. If you close your eyes and imagine a better, more giving world, let's say your boldest vision five years in the future, what do you see? What, what's your vision for a better and more giving world? Mm, that when you say imagine, close your eyes and imagine, right? Like that reminded me of the day we started B1J1 mm. because we started with this message, imagine. Imagine being a part of a world where everything we do makes a difference every second, every day, and in every way. And that is the world that we really can create. And it's just a matter of mobilizing our power and our businesses to do so. And I, th I believe in the human spirit. You know, even if we have a different opinions on something, because changing a positive impact in the world too, there are many different ways. It's not just about we have to plant more trees and that's it, or you know, we have to provide more education and that's it. We have to do all the things that matters and they gradually create that true sustainability together. So if we take away the judgment and what's right and wrong, but if we could come with the real human spirit, our care for the world, our care for the children, um, the next generation, then we really can transform this world. And I believe in that. Thank you so much, Masami. Uh, once again, I want to remind everybody, and by the way, thanks everybody for tuning in, staying with us till the end. I want to remind everybody, go check out B1G1. This amazing lady has created an organization which she will say we did, which is amazing, <laughs> community spirit. But uh, what a driven leader, what a purpose-driven leader, and what an amazing organization. Uh, thank you so much, Masami, for making a difference, for, for being a leader who cares, for spreading the giving and care culture and sharing this message to many, many people. Really hope that your message reaches as many leaders across the world. I just want to remind everybody, uh, we, we're on a mission to, to spread this care culture even further. So if you want to read more about it, you can go to our webpage, theleaderswhocare.org. You can follow us on the social channels on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And obviously, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find many more episodes. Make sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, uh, that really helps us and support us to reach even more people. And just uh, before we finish, I just want to announce that uh, we're going to have another special guest next week. Uh, the founder of Reebok, the sneakers company himself, is going to be with us next Wednesday. Go to our social channels, Joe Foster. He's recently published 
an amazing book about his journey, Shoemaker. It's the name of the book. And Joe is going to be with us uh, and he's going to talk about leadership as well. So tune in and, and be with us next week as well. Final words, Masami, to the audience that's been with us today. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's been a real pleasure being here and thank you so much for many great questions and also for people who are listening to this, thank you so much for the time you spend um, listening, being open to the idea uh, and I hope that you will continue on uh, to spread the care that you have for the world as well. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Find out more about the leaders who care across the main social media channels and help us spread the care culture in your own community, first by taking care of yourself and then of others around you. It all starts with one person, one act of kindness. What is one thing you can do today to make your environment better? Stay inspired and stay caring. See you next time.